Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Money and More. Today is a guest episode and what a treat I have for you all today. Please welcome Elliot Kay. Elliot is an extraordinary speaker, executive mentor and visionary business strategist who transforms ordinary events into unforgettable experiences. Known for his magnetic stage presence, Elliot captivates audiences with dynamic presentations that inspire action and drive success. His expertise lies in empowering individuals with strategic insights for influential communication, compelling pitches, and winning business strategies. His powerful narratives and practical tools enable attendees to break through barriers, embrace their potential, and conquer new heights. Thank you very much for coming onto the podcast, Elliot. It's absolutely fantastic to have you here. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. What is your money story? I thought you were going to ask me to marry you. There you oh. go. Will you marry me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What is my money story? I think you know it's an that's such a loaded question, right? Because there's so many kind of different answers and angles. I'm going to say that my money story is a bit like a, a, a. It's the story of learning to pursue a partner. It's a story of learning to maintain a partner. It's a learn. It's a story. It's a very much like a marriage, isn't it? I mean. Um, my money story, I feel, is very much like that. I felt for years and years, um, as I was growing up, I, I didn't feel that, you know, I watched a mother that was a workaholic and worked really hard for money. And I had a, a father that was an alcoholic uh, who never had money. So I kind of had both extremes when I was growing up, uh, you know, literally a workaholic mother and an alcoholic father. Mm. So to me, part of my money story, a bit like women in my case, represented quite a lot of pain and rejection when I was growing up, right? It wasn't something that stuck around. It wasn't something that I had a great relationship with. That's why when you ask that question, I I feel it's a bit more like pursue of the pursuit of finding my ideal partner, right? Um, And I think that carried on for years, you know, even when I was really young, I invested in a property I say young, fairly young, you know, my 20s in in Leeds. still young now. I am still young now. It's true, I'm only 22. So, you know, you know, I invested in property in Leeds and then we sold it and I sold it for quite a lot of money two years later, you know, and 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 out of, yes, I put some money into bonds, but then I gave myself a gift. And obviously that money didn't last very long because I spent it. And when I started to deep dive into my relationship with money, when I started this personal development journey and stuff, and, 
you know, there's a little bit about it in, in my book. Um, I realized that I pushed money away, a bit like I used to do with women. Hey, stay away, pain, pain, right? Um, and it wasn't until I really learned to welcome and value my relationship and respect money and understand that it needs investment energetically that things started to shift. But that doesn't mean in the meantime, I didn't end up bankrupt. You know, so I did take some of that money. I bought that property in Leeds and bought a place in Wales, in Cardiff, eh? right? Not far from the Millennium Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, you know, again, what happened in the recession back in 2008, that helped, you know, kind of crashed me financially. And then I think 2011 is when I declared personal bankruptcy and I gave the property back to the bank. And, you know, I think that's when I realized that I need to I need to deal with this. That's not 2010. It began my journey. Um because actually, funnily enough, a girl I was in love with dumped me for a billionaire. So there's always this kind of <laughs> literally a billionaire. I'm not joking. It's not like, oh, he literally, if you Googled his name, he's on Forbes tops, um, 100 or something wealthy people. That's okay. We're friends. We're really yeah. good friends now. It's all, you know, it's all what I needed to go through. So up until certain points, money used to represent pain, a lot of pain, a lot of rejection. Uh, it doesn't stick around. So therefore, even if I had it, I pushed it away. Um, but then I, I learned to make peace with it. I, 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 whatever the energy, whatever we want to refer to money as, um, obviously it's an energy to flow, but I'll, I'll refer to it as it without any disrespect. Cause I think that's just easier or call it money. Um, and so much so that when I started to really do this healing journey, when I was doing my seminars, power to succeed, which I used to do, um, I used to actually have an exercise where people talk to money and then there are certain questions that I would guide them through. And because that's what I did. I sat there and had a conversation and I know the answer is money. Slant sounds a bit psychotic, a bit like schizophrenic, you know. No, I but, do exactly the same. So I totally get it. Yeah. So I've yeah. done that. And then that to me was the big moment. Obviously, I was talking to myself and talking to different parts of myself. I'm aware of that. I'm not that not that delusioned, maybe a little delusioned. Um, and that was a shift. And when it had such a profound impact on me, I did it with other people when I used to do my seminars. And literally, I would see people break down, crying, smacking the floor. Like, ah, you could just see the shift in them. Um, and I did that for years. And yeah, after after I kind of went bankrupt, um, it was weird because almost once I got rid of the debt, it made way for money. And that's when I started to make some really good money for years. Um, and then I was doing really, I think I was doing okay up until obviously like most of us, the pandemic and I think if there ever, ever there was a test to your resilience, and even resilient people were tested during the pandemic, that's when I feel that, you know, um, that's when the, the rocky times again started with money. Um, and just coming through that this year. And it, it's just been a very interesting, but I mean, it was nothing like, nothing like going bankrupt, nothing like, oh my God, I can't eat, I can't feed. You know, it's nothing that extreme, but that energetic conflict I could feel with money brewing up. So, but that's been down that shifted again. And ironically, I, I think it kind of also mirrored some challenges I had around relationships. So there you go. It's it's quite interesting. So that's a little bit of my money story. And I I love the synergy that you bring between or the analogy you bring between relationships and and money and yeah. recognizing that you treated both in a very, very similar way by rejecting them. Yeah. And that that is I always see that is always so true because how we do money 
is how we do everything essentially in our lives. So anybody who is not addressing their relationship with money is actually avoiding addressing other things in their lives that could be even more impactful or impacted, I should say, if they actually sat down and worked out what does that relationship, what do all my relationships look like? How do I want them to look like? And what do I need to do to make them work for me and the kind of life I want to create for myself? So I loved everything that you said there. When you think about money, so based on what you said there, you know, the conversation you would have with yourself as though you were money, mm-hmm. when you think about money now, how do you imagine it? It's interesting because I think there's been an evolution even in the last two years, obviously, with, with that. And I think now I, I think now when I imagine money, I, I think it, it, it's something that I imagine that has a connection to something greater. I definitely injected spirituality far more in the last two years. You know, even something quite godly. I'm not saying mm. it's God or I'm not elevating it as a God, but something quite spiritual i see as gold right i see as gold when i look at money i think of gold and i think of almost like you know heaven's army and the gold within heaven's army and unlocking the wealth in that respect i don't mean like i'm now a religious fanatic because i'm not or even religious more religious i've always been religious and believed in a god um different conversation um so to me it's evolved into that realm without hitting the mic it's involved into that realm as in something that's quite that's a tool that's used for something greater that's bigger. I definitely see that I have access to it with the right approach, with the right drive. I mean, right in front of me is a prayer for abundance that I say every morning. And, you know, I just think something definitely shifted. And so when I visualize money now, I kind of see gold and access to gold. And maybe it's because gold is one of the most stable things you can invest in, literally. I don't know why. Um, but that's where it evolved into before it was literally, it almost had a, a female figure to it that, you know, and that's now shifted into something completely different. Um, that's what money looks like to me now. Yeah. And would you say you're more respectful about money now? Has that changed for you? I've, yeah. I mean, since I went through that process about a decade ago, I respected money. I've always respected money, but I think what's happened the last couple of years is while I respected it, it needed a different level of vibration or a different level of uh, I needed to shift a paradigm. Because, you know, it's a bit like whenever you go up a level, there'll be resistance. There'll be something that kind of and it's the same with money. It's like, you know, people that make a 100 grand might never move beyond that because they're, they're not clearing the space for a million yeah. or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Why can people I say with a snap of their fingers, why can people go from broke to making a billion to broke to making a billion? Because they've got that space, the capacity, of course, the strategies to do it, you know, and while there's people that will never break the 50K mark, right? So I think for me, the last two years, if I talk about my relationship with money has been about elevating my spiritual and my vibration towards money. And with that came resistance, right? You can't have yin without yang, or you can, then you're delusioned or depressed, right? So to have that balance, but it took a couple of years. It took a while for me to really shift it. And that doesn't mean I wasn't making money because I was making money, right? You know, you and I worked together. It wasn't like I didn't have the money, but there was something that was 
massively resistant. And I was even talking to my coach at the time. I did a lot of work with her on it. And again, it was about reforming that conversation with money, you know, and welcoming money, but in a, in a different level and different vibration. And I can I can totally get that because I I definitely have more respect for money than I previously have had. And I think that's come through a greater awareness of gratitude and Mm -hmm. being grateful because I know I certainly had a mentality of I've got it, I'll spend it and if it's wasted, it doesn't matter. It's only £10, it's only £20, it's only £50. And then actually, over the last few years, becoming very aware that that, whilst I had the money, how much more money I could have had if I actually respect, you know, if I looked after the pennies and the pounds would then look after themselves, as that lovely phrase goes. So I do, I do think... Being more mindful about money is not is, is is not something to shy away from. It's something to be really, really aware of because I think that respect actually is probably reflective to a certain extent of something going on where you're not fully respecting yourself either. And when all of a sudden you do go, well, hang on a minute, if I if I if I hadn't wasted that £10 there or that particular thing is not working now, but I can't be bothered to go to the shop and complain about it. Well, where else am I letting you know myself down, essentially? And I yeah. think the more mindful we can become with regards to our attitude about money and our own sense of self-worth and self-value, the more we can have that wake-up call that says, mm, something is not right here essentially for us yeah yeah and i think you know because still i think for a lot of people there's two key elements that represent pain or mass pleasure right and that's money and love right if we look at it if we stripped it right back and the two did like you talked about do coexist and i feel that often when you have great relationship with one you have a great relationship with another and it's not like money brings happiness but it does give you more options right and i think sure you know i've spent I've seen extreme poverty when I've visited certain countries and there's incredible, joyful, grateful people with what they have. Right. And I think you look at us and like just how much choice we have around us. And I think we can always improve and elevate and be grateful. You know, like you say, I live in, in, in the California of the UK in Devon. I know. <laughs> and, I look around and I'm like, wow, I'm so grateful. I'm so lucky. And to certain people, I go, you know, because we do have a big house and we we do have a good life. And that isn't necessarily a reflective necessarily of our wealth or the money I make, but it's a more reflection of the gratitude. And actually, even when times were tough, I would look around and go, well, look, there's food on the table. I can pay my rent, right? I can pay for this. Like we can, the kids aren't affected. So actually, we're still okay. It's just, it's a lot tighter. And I think a lot of people can get really sucked into the lack, what's missing, or what money represents to them, which is often the voids, the lack, or the pain. Yeah. Um, versus going, well, that doesn't have to be the story moving forwards. You know, because I did, I grew up, you know, we didn't have money. Like, I had clothes, I had food. Yes. Okay. So I'm very lucky. But I didn't have 
money for new clothes. Like I didn't get spending money or a lot of it. I remember I used to go out and the kids always had all this money and I'd have like a fiver or whatever. Well, I won't have 20 quid. And I always remember going, oh, everyone has so much more than me. But now when I look around, it's not like oh, so much more than others. Not at all. I've got, I've got what I need to yeah. have and what I'm happy to have. Yeah. Sure, there's people next door that have a lot more and there's people next door that don't have as much. But it's not about that. And again, I think a lot of people get sucked into the comparisons yeah. as well. And that's where it becomes very dangerous and very toxic. And, you know, we've all seen people that are extremely wealthy and you'll never know it. And then you'll see extremely wealth and that you'll always know it. You know, and I think, again, you know, magnify. Money's just a magnifier. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Now, I know your children are you know, relatively young at the moment. So there's there's lots of time for them to be considering what they want to do. Mine are 17 and 14. Yeah. And my 14 year old has kind of hinted now he'd quite like to start his own business when he's older. And I must admit, my first reaction to that was, no, don't do it. You know, I didn't come into running my own business until I was in my early 40s. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, by then I'd had experience in the corporate life. I had bought my first house. I'd moved to my second and third house, et cetera, et cetera. So I had a certain amount of stability behind me. Is becoming an entrepreneur something that you would encourage in your children? Yes, if that's their chosen path, right? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I it, I guess I was always entrepreneurial and I wasn't aware of it. Um, you know, there's great, great things to being an entrepreneur and there's terrible things to being an entrepreneur, <laughs> right? Like, you know, you don't get any certificates for your martyrism. You don't get any, you know, no one's going to go, well done for surviving on that uncertainty and for living on the edge all the time, <laughs> you know? So I think if my kids, either of them, want to be entrepreneur and if when Ariella or Elijah at the age of 14 or 10 or 12 I want to launch a business I will I will get behind them right and I will say right let's do this and I will help poke them and guide them as best as I can so either they fail forwards and fails fast and they learn the lessons and pick themselves up or they go you know what this isn't for me and it doesn't mean they can never come back to it because they can come back yeah. to it, right? There's many people that go get a job and come back and leave and go get a job and come back to it, right? But I would definitely encourage them to because, you know, if they can build the life they want um, and live to their own vision, then I think they'll just have a happier life. I think, you know, because many of us, I've all been, I've been a corporate trainer. I was a corporate trainer for years and here you are serving someone else's vision, making money for someone else. Yeah. And you might get paid very handsomely, but it's still not yours, right? You know, a bit like people that build all these massive businesses on Facebook and then boom, everything shuts down because Facebook is like, it's gone. It's the same with you're living on someone else's vision and they can just go by. They'll crack on. So no, I definitely will. And you know, it's funny because I'm like, do they, are they looking like it? And I'm not sure right now, you know, Ariella, she's only six, but she loves writing. So, oh, she's creative, right? And my son is only three, um, but he's very good with a ball. Like, so I put him into rugby. But you and I know, I mean, it's so early days, yeah. but if they turn, I mean, you know, because Ariella was already, she likes shops, she'll open a cafe, she'll, she's really, she loves maths. So if she's like, hey, I want to try a natural business, I'd say go for it. And I think what I love is the fact that there is that choice available now, because when I was growing up, 
it, my parents, you know, they encouraged me to go to university, to um, get a, you know, have a job, get on the career ladder, and to climb that career ladder. Never entered into my head whatsoever to run my own business because that had not been the experience that I had had. And I think now for my children to go well, there's, you know, there's several paths we can go on here. I think the draw for my 14-year-old is quite simply seeing his mum and his dad have been around for him all the time. So every school play, every sports event, every whatever has gone on, we haven't had to ask for time off. We haven't had to allocate, well, you've got so many days off, you've got so many days off, therefore I'll go to that, you go to that. And I think it's that it's that sense of life by our design that mm-hmm. he is drawn to. And I love the fact that he has that awareness of what we do has done for him as far as our our family unit is concerned. And I yeah. think that possibly is one of the benefits of social media and the like, because there is so much that social media has not done well, but at least it has brought other worlds into individual people's vision so people start to be able to see beyond just what their parents introduce them to. And I think that that is, is beneficial as well. As far as the world that you reside in now, so you know, around speaking and around yeah. giving people the opportunity to find their feet, find their business from a speaking perspective. How do you think that fits into the whole self-worth, self-value? Because that is so interlinked with our relationship with money as well. I will be back after this short break. Financial awareness is not taught in enough schools, which means children are not receiving the level of information needed to help them become money savvy. With 87% of 11 to 18-year-olds saying they have limited knowledge about managing money, only 4 in 10 children and young people saying they've had some financial education at school, and research demonstrating that those who don't receive financial education as a child are more likely to be unemployed or earning less today than those who did. This is why I have developed the Money and Mindset Made Simple for Teenagers online self-paced programme to help our children to empower their knowledge of and relationship with money. As a parent, you want to equip your children with the essential life skills to allow them to thrive in today's fast-moving world. So go to the show notes to access full details for the programme. If you are a school or institute that would like to use the programme under licence, then reach out directly to me via email leslie at themoneyconfidenceacademy.com. Now, let's return to the show. So how does speaking fit in with self-worth and self-value? I think that, and I see this, I think you can see a massive link, right? Because those who have that inherent self-worth and belief often don't have an issue expressing themselves. 
uh, or standing on stage because they've got something to say. It doesn't mean those who don't have self-worth don't have something to say. Of course they do. But you can often see that because those who have that kind of like dulled up self-worth, self-value don't necessarily, for one or whether we like this expression or not, deal so much with imposter syndrome or who am I to say this or will anybody believe me or like it or this or that versus those with slightly more dialed down you can see a lot more of that and of course the other aspect of it um, is is the ability to ask for your worth so for example people that don't have the self-worth when they speak they often won't ask for the fee versus those who do now of course there's the other spectrum which is People go too far with it. Well, I'm 20K speaker, right? It's like, why? Um, So there's that aspect. But I feel people that have got it dialed in in the right capacity, then they're okay having money conversations and they're okay going, yes, that's great, or no, that's not enough, or, you know, even sometimes, oh, that's too much. Uh, It doesn't happen very often in the speaking world. So I think they're they're massively interlinked, right? I think, you know, your ability to have – have belief in yourself and know the value that you bring often relates to the fee that you ask and your ability to stand on stage. And if you look, do look at that kind of top 1% of speakers, you know, the Tony Robbins, the the big, big, I mean, he's yeah. obviously he does big events, but even when he speaks, right. And he does short, small way. No, nothing. He does really short. You know, the reason he can command the 2 million for whatever, two hours of his time is because he knows that's what he can make. Yeah. Right. He knows, well, if I'm not speaking that, here i'll be making it there because he's got massive high self-worth self-value i mean i'm not i'm not a huge tony robinite right i'm not an anti i respect the guy. but that's the key with people with high self-worth that is an arrogance that they know what they're worth they know you know if if I, i've tried for example a few years ago to get jeff bezos to come to a conference and the response you get is he's very busy building the business he won't be attending right he won't be speaking because he knows that's where he's going to make the money. Or if you pull him out, then you have to compensate. Yeah. And so that's the thing. So if you ha- if you have an inherent understanding of the self-worth, then you're able to ask the value of that in money. That's where a lot of people fall down. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think is the secret's probably the wrong word, but I'll use the word secret just for efficiency's sake. What is the secret, do you think, of actually being able to harness your own self-worth when it comes to stating your fee? I think it's number one, absolutely owning your expertise, right? If it's, you know, I often get this, you know, why, why do you charge what you charge? I'm like, well, I've written six books. I'm writing my seventh. I've been around for over a decade. I've worked with X amount of, I don't mean this like as a boastful list, but this is how you build up your fee, right? I've done this, this, this. I've, you know, obviously these day and ages, another way you command your fee is by following. And that's something I've never massively invested in. Although LinkedIn, it's grown over the last two years. I've kind of stopped elsewhere. That's another way. If you've got massive following, obviously, then you can command higher fees. But in terms of your self-value, it's really knowing what you bring to the table and but it goes beyond what you believe you bring to the table it's 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 that it's like well i've got this i've got years in this i've done this you know i've achieved this and that's how you can base your fee what a lot of people do is they base their fee on their passion or belief so if someone goes well i believe i'm a 5k speaker great what makes you a 5k speaker i just believe i am that just doesn't work with an external booker or a conference organizer right 
Um, but if they can see the kudos, so you know, last month I did a talk in Birmingham and I got around the four figures and and they because they we had the conversation, they checked me out and I said, Yeah, it's yours, right? We can see you're worth it. So to command the fee you want is about expertise. It's also a belief aspect, and it's also about being able to be okay with having the money conversation. And again, that's where people falter. You know, the amount of people like Stephanie that worked with me years ago, um, years ago, three years ago, she's like, you know, I, I, I kind of groomed her to have the money conversation. Of course, within that, there's levels you can go. <clears throat> so we practiced, we practiced, and she, she did what I asked her to do, which was ask, what was, you know, um, what did she say? I think she said, what's the speaker budget? Uh, and they said anything between a thousand to three thousand. She went, okay, well, you know, a thousand's good. And then she went, just out of curiosity, how much would you have paid me? And I went, well, someone with your podcast and I've written a book, we would have paid you more like three and a half to five. So even when you're like ready for the money conversation, it's about being okay with it going up or yeah. down, not just going, I asked the question, I got the answer, thank you very much, snatch. Yeah. It's sitting comfortably. So, for example, when I had that conversation with the, the person that booked me, you know, <clears throat> we had that really cool conversation. I was like, should we, do you want to address the budget? I was like, sure. And I, I use the same. So what's your budget for the speaker? And he said, well, if you're a hundred grand, we won't hire you. So I don't charge a hundred grand. What were you thinking? And he's like five. I was like, okay, let's do it. I had yeah. three and a half in my mind. So I was happy when he said five. So that's what I mean. Sometimes it can come lower and sometimes it can come higher. But it's being okay with whatever comes your way. Yeah, absolutely. And unless you have the conversation, you're not going to know. But also, I think by saying what is your budget, it feels far better than saying what are you going to offer me? Because what right. you're you're actually taking the spotlight away from you, and you're putting it back on the person you're having the conversation with. What's your budget? There's nothing personal in there. It's what is the budget that's been set for this event. And then you can decide when that figure is mentioned, are you comfortable right. with it or are you not yeah. comfortable with it? Yeah. And sometimes you do get what do you charge? And you have to be you have to be okay with giving the answer. Yeah. Right. And that's where kind of having a range comes in. Well, look, I'm between three and a half to 10, right? And it's that old cliche, know your walk away. But again, people get very uncomfortable with when you start talking numbers or the amount of people in some of the trainings or the groups, you know, you belong to or other, they they they, they go, oh, well, I've, I've asked them to tell me how much they want to pay me. Well, you're just signaling that you're not, you're not ready. Not owning, yeah. You're not owning, but you're also signaling that you're not professional or that you're not quite ready. And they'll just move on. Go, oh, this, but I don't want to tell them what I'm paying them. I want them to tell me what they want to charge. And then I'll make a decision. Or oh, what's the budget? So that's a key difference. Again, that's part of knowing your value and your self-worth. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as well, it's being prepared to either walk away or to get a no because you do know your self-worth and self-value and are not prepared to compromise on that. And that has to be a conversation you have with yourself as well. When you're opening up the money conversation, this is how far you know I am prepared to go. And if that person is not prepared to meet me, I then have a decision to make. So being prepared to have those different forms of conversation yeah. And I think it's also how much you want to do that speaking gig, yeah. right? Um, you know, last year I was flown out to Belfast to do a, a gig and it was nowhere near my feet, but I really wanted to do it. I really wanted to do it. They covered my cost. They paid me a bit. 
Uh, it was in Belfast. I'd never been to Belfast. It was a student union. I really wanted to do it. So I accepted that fee, right? Um, so to me, the, the, of course, payments are part of it, but it's not the leading factor. There's some I'll just walk away. No, not for me. But if like, you know, I really want to do the gig. Let's make it work. And I think that's another way to think about it. Yeah, and I agree. And it does have to come down to what what could this lead to? What can it provide me with? Even if that provision is video that you can use after to create your your show reel, a um, a way to talk about when I spoke at X event, when I spoke in front of X audience, and I think very often a lot of people think of the money conversation in a very binary way rather mm-hmm. than thinking around the conversation and actually sitting down with yourself and working out where am I as a speaker? Where do I want to get to? What's going to help me to get there in the first place? Where are my absolute um red lines that I'm not prepared to go over, but equally, where are those points where I'm where I'm happy to do something because it's going to be for a bigger game further down the line? Yeah, I think you said that beautifully. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and what is interesting, I think, and this holds true for, you know, for lots of entrepreneurs, I feel, very often, there isn't the concern necessarily about how am I going to present what I do? How effective am I going to be? The bigger concern is, is having that money conversation. And that money conversation is something that you can prepare for in exactly the same way as you can prepare that presentation, that talk, that workshop. So would you recommend that people who want to be paid to do what they do, that they actually prepare that conversation in the same way? Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, when I talk about training or, you know, preparing to be a speaker, you prepare for what can go wrong just as much as you prepare for what can go right. Most people only prepare for what can go right. So I think it's important you prepare for, yeah, you prepare for that conversation, you prepare for outcomes. Like you mentioned, you prepare for alternatives. So if they can't pay you, okay, how can I commercialize that? And I think, again, it becomes, it's the intention behind why you're speaking or what speaking gives to you. And if you're a professional speaker, obviously that's what you do full time. So they won't consider it unless they're paid. And I understand that. But, you know, there's obviously speak to get paid, but they speak to sell and they speak to raise your brand and they speak by association, like who you're seen on stage with. And I think that's like depends what's the why behind what's the purpose of your speaking. And I think absolutely people should prepare generally to have money conversations, right? Generally to have conversations about negotiation. But of course, when it comes to speaking, they should prepare that same kind of conversation. I think that's an integral part of preparation is being prepared for the conversation you're going to have and the outcomes that you yeah, want. Absolutely, absolutely. What do you wish you had done differently in terms of your relationship with money? <laughs> Gosh, I think there's a lot of things I kind of obviously I don't I don't necessarily believe in regret, but I think if there was a if there was a way or if I could have done things differently, I think for a start when I was touring many moons ago touring Germany and all the, you know, I would have kept the cash a lot more because I would get paid weekly in cash. And 
I would spend the cash. Now, if you think that for six months I had no rent to pay, no food to buy, except when we were not on tour or such, um, you know, I would have left that with with quite a severe amount of money or cash, right? I wish I'd saved that, really, more than anything. I think because that would have been a really good nest egg to build from. And I was already uh, I already owned a flat in Leeds at that point, but I felt it would have given me more of a nest egg. Um, I, carry on, yep. Good. Um, I feel that I, I I wish I was better, like you must say, with saving, you know, when I had it. I think, you know, when I sold the property in Leeds, maybe spending 10 grand on myself was a bit extravagant. So I did reinvest it and buy the property in Cardiff, but still, like, I took 10K and that was mine to play with, that fun. Whoa, look at me, right? And, or maybe it was at eight. It was around that. It was a lot, even for the time. And we're talking, what are we talking, 2000 and one or two you know 20 so years it, ago over 20 years yeah, ago yeah right so even then it's quite a bit i could yeah. have done a lot more so i think yeah. I, I kind of wish i didn't th- you know bought playstation i bought clothes i went now oh, it's great but you know there's a lot more i wish i think and then obviously educated my for myself further on, on wealth and understanding wealth that, those are kind of my three top yeah three yeah I, and i think though you know the fact that financial literacy still isn't taught in very, very many schools. That the only way that we had to learn was from our mistakes, you know, unless Mm. our parents were financially literate and encouraged us to to save to invest to learn about money and I think for for lots of us you know my money story was getting that application through you know when I went to university having a credit card because I knew nothing about having a credit card I was offered I can't remember you know what my uh, credit limit was but it was it was high compared to my ability to actually make that amount of money and I only had to pay back a tiny amount each month exactly yeah. so you know as a student who didn't have very much money that was really really exciting and it was only as my own relationship with money matured did I actually realize hang on now what you spent that on three years ago you're still having to pay that back now at what interest rate and I think because we only learn by our mistakes unfortunately then I think probably saving more and being aware of what you're consciously spending is something probably we all largely have in common with each other because we haven't had the opportunity to do anything other than learn from experience, basically. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So for you, what are you excited about? We're now in 2023. What are you really looking forward to? I think I'm excited to figure out where I'm going next, right? So I think after we've got the Speaker Awards coming up next month, and then after that, I'm going to make some some interesting choices, decisions, and you know, and I want to see where that leads. There's there is a potential of me, excuse me, taking over a company as well. So adding that to the portfolio. There's a lot of things right now. There's literally today we had evaluation of the house we're we're living in to potentially buy it. Um, so there's there's stuff. I'm looking at so there's possibilities and that's what excites me. I, I don't know where they're going to take me. I don't know what I'm going to decide. Normally I'm very like, yep, I know what I'm going to do, 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 but this time I'm like, no, I'm going to make my decision post that. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm excited about, really. I uh, just want to see where I end up, where I, where I land. 
Um, again, when I made that decision to make that decision, so that's when things opened up and suddenly all these things came to me. So let's see. That's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about almost not knowing where I'm going next and making some big decisions. And I think that, you know, that is the the huge upside of, you know, being an entrepreneur, just looking at, at what's available, what's possible, being in, in the world of other entrepreneurs and seeing what they're doing and the different journeys they're on and being up for the art of the possible for us as individuals. And I think for me, I cannot imagine now working for somebody else and being constrained by the size of their vision and being a cog in them achieving their vision. And I think the fact that I don't plan my day, I don't plan my life, I should say, on a day-to-day basis, I actually now do look at the art of the possible. And I'm grateful, really, really grateful that I can do that. I don't have to think about when am I going to retire and counting down the days to retirement. It's actually all about what can I do to keep ensuring my children are looking at me and their dad and going, wow, mum and dad are continually evolving, continually doing things differently because we can. Yeah. And that must be a similar motivation for you as far as your family is concerned. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think to me, as long as I raise two great human beings, I think that's really what what matters. Yeah. You know, as long as I can be a great father to them and a husband, by the way, (laughs) to my wife, it's not just about the kids Um, and to myself. I think that's what it is. Very similarly. But, you know, I'm not... You know, people ask me this, if if a job came along, would you, you know, if it's the right job, um, <clears throat> you know, I was headhunted a while ago, a few years ago, and we want you, it's you, it's you, you know, 100 grand salary. And it's like, well, here's my conditions. I'm like, no, you have to do it like this. No, I'm not interested because I don't need the job, right? If the right job came along with the right conditions and it gave me the right things and I, maybe, maybe it won't, but maybe I would take it. I don't know. That's what I mean. I'm not completely like, oh, no, no job. Oh, no, stay away. Bad, bad, right? Vampire, garlic. Um, But no, it's not in my periphery to get a job. Um, It is about me hopefully raising two incredible human beings that had the life or have the life that I didn't have. And that's what's really about for me. Yeah. No, I can Offering them that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So how can people connect with you, Elliot? I think uh, LinkedIn. It is probably socially, like on yeah. socials, is LinkedIn, Elliot, K-E-L-L-I-O-T, and then K-O-Y, all spelt the correct way. None of this one T, double T, <laughs> two Ts, two, you know, one L, none of that stuff. E-L-L-L-I-O-T, and then space K-A-Y, no E, K-A-Y. You'll see a picture of me looking very cool. Um, so just feel free to reach out to me there, add me, send me a message if I can support in any way. And then if there's anything kind of beyond that speaking wise or, you know, about speaking, you can either just send me a message on, I suppose the easiest is Elliot at ElliotK.com, right? E-L-L-I-O-T and then my name.com. That's the easiest way. It'll bounce to any of my emails. So that's the easiest, really. And you are so supportive of everybody that's in your world who, you know, wants to be a speaker, wants to get more confident about speaking and wants to get more confident in understanding their value and their worth. 
you are a brilliant at that. So thank, thank you, you. That for all that you do for all the speakers who are trying to make our impact in the world. And all thank your you. contact details will be in the show notes so people can easily contact and connect with you. Thank you very much for your time today. I've really, thank really you. enjoyed speaking to you and hopefully catch up with you again soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Take care. Thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly money mindset audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free Money Confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.